listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. Jesus pulls people out of the pit. Amen? And we just sang that this morning. Jesus is the liberator. Amen? Oh, wait a minute. Some of y'all need to be reminded that Jesus rose from the dead. I think that's why God said let's meet every week. Because last week, I need to be reminded that he sets the captives free. He set me free. Did he see, set you free? If you're not set free, I pray today is the day that you're liberated and you're set free from your emotional bondage, from your spiritual bondage. And you understand the weight of his creative power and his creation plan this morning. I'm a little biased on today's sermon because we're about to unpack the crescendo of creation. We're going to talk about the moment God created his curtain call, his final attention to creation in the helper, in his creation woman. If you have a copy of God's word, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We continue with our series in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 will be looking particularly at verses 19 through 24. This is kind of a continuation from last week. As I mentioned in our sermon last week, I need a little bit more time to unpack these texts because it was so important and so uh, good and depth in the things that we're sharing from the text and what God did. Reminding you through, if this is your first time, you haven't been with us in a while, We've been mapping through the narrative of God's creation and how he declared everything good. And even at the very end, before the creation of woman, he said everything is very good, except one thing. And that was the loneliness of man. The loneliness of man. It is not good for man to be alone. I had thought it was just because I'm a knucklehead. This may be a very true theological uh, reality, that I'm a knucklehead and I need accountability, I need help, I need community. Anyone else knuckleheads in here? Just me. Okay, we got Jason and I. All right, good. Oh, my son, thank you. I was not going to have him raise his hand on purpose, but, uh, you, you know, it's what it is. But sometimes we think maybe it's because we're just uh, simple people. Men aren't stupid, we're just simple very basic needs, not very complicated. That's what I heard yesterday in the same sermon I texted our men at the men's retreat. Our, uh, one of our uh, preachers was sharing. He went to the exact same scripture, the exact same text. And I said, I texted our group. I'm like, hey, I had my sermon already planned before he preached. So, uh, so when this morning, uh, and then they replied back, why did it take him uh, 30 minutes to do two chapters and you've been on it for 11 weeks? Well, I, got, I like to talk a lot, and I like to dig into the text, so forgive me. But the, the idea uh, is that we're not just knuckleheads, although this, this can be true, and we need a helper. 
But God values, this is a recap from last week because this is a continuation from last week. God values companionship. We saw that in the triune God in his monotheistic position of who he is as one God. He reveals himself in three persons. He values companionship. And he values community. Connection and community is the intentional creation of God from the very beginning as we read last week. And God created this perfect helper, not a sidekick that we sometimes biblically think this woman is, but as we revealed in the text in the original language, as we let scripture interpret scripture, it revealed to us that this helper actually is a defender, a shield, a protector in time of need. That's the word helper, defender, shield, and help in a desperate time of need. And so now we come to this moment, this moment of creation and formation of woman, the crescendo of creation. So if you'll stand with me as we just remind ourselves of the authority of God's word in our life as an outward symbol of an inward understanding. We look at verses 19, I'll back up to 18. It might not be on the screen, but it will be from 19 on. Then the Lord said, God, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast in the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature that it was named. Verse 20. The man gave the name to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But Adam, for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And our text primarily for this morning, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he was asleep, took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. In verse 23, the first time we hear man speaking. Then the man said, this at last is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Let's pray, and you may be seated. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible text we have here, revealing your great mercy, your great grace, your great provision, your great helper, your great creation plan. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you speak to us this morning through your text. And Father, I pray that it'll produce transformation in how we live, how we think, and how we view our reality and our world in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, this morning our first point is this. If you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to take, anytime you come and you're hearing the teaching of the word, it's a good idea to write down things that God might be speaking to you. But my point for you this morning is this. We see God's unmatched creation. There is nothing in creation that God had created like he did with Eve. Look at verse 21 and 22. God's unmatched creation. So God caused a deep sleep to fall over the man. He pulled from the man this rib. And it says he made woman and brought her to the man. If you look at the original language, this word made for this first woman coming from this first man, this verb made actually translate more accurately to build or built. This word built can be found in other places in text and scriptures, but in particular, the way the language is formed here and the way the, the tone is made here, it's the same word that was given in the building of the temple. This verb is used in a very careful and meticulous manner. The construction of the Old Testament temple, the tabernacle, was very specific and extremely uh, focused on attention to detail. It was very clear instructions in the building of the tabernacle for the priest and even Moses on how to build this mobile temple how to construct it, tear it down, and, and rebuild it as they traveled through the wilderness. But the temple, this tabernacle, and this building of its tabernacle was the centerpiece of attention and worship for the Israelites. A symbol of God's grace, God's provision, God's relationship, a place that was meant to kept, be kept holy and sacred. It was the focal point of this covenant relationship between man and creator. For those reading the text in the original language, it would not have been missed that he uses the same word built in the construction and meticulous careful attention in the creation of woman as a dot connected to the meticulous careful attention of the building of the temple which meant there is similarity and symbolism there is a reverence and a grace at which Mankind is to honor and cherish God's masterpiece of creation. How far have we possibly strayed from that? We'll get into the link of that in the, the roots of chivalry, in fact, and how we're called to care and shepherd and lead and protect and guard this focal point of covenant between man and woman in our second point. But the heavens and the earth and all the living cre creatures were created at the speed of light at 186,000 miles in a second, like I mentioned several weeks ago. And the stars being placed at the, at the order and the 
word of God, earth and its living plant life and animal life created in the spoken word of God, but then his special creation created in two different distinct manners, men being made out of dirt. Now don't be minimizing the significance of that because in that formation, mankind, as in we preached in our last few Sundays ago, about the meticulous care in a potter's uh, method of creation. A, a personal attention. When, when God said he breathed life into man, it was this intimate uh, breath like the lighting of fire. If you ever lit fire before, without a match, I have not. I've watched it on uh, different survival shows. But one day I'm going to try. It's that very last moment before the ember sparks. And God created mankind out of scooping up of dirt and molding and claying that together and breathing life into it. So there is a value and worth that's shaped there. But woman is created in a very different manner than anything else that has been created. One... Not from dirt, not from spoken word, but from, for the first time, another living creation, Adam. This is valuable and highly important when we begin to talk about the value of our personhood, the value of who we are in Christ, the value of of manhood and womanhood. It's valuable for us to understand this creation. Man and woman share their unity like nothing else in all of creation. The distinctness of manhood and womanhood in their creative plan and how they were formed has incredible implications for how we view ourselves, how we understand gender. Man and woman sharing in this unity share in their personhood as well, their high value, just as much as the creation of man. And in some cases, even highly valued to a level that's even this honoring and cherishing that goes beyond even man. Using the language of building, like the temple, with careful attention and reverence and grace and honor. These symbols that reflect into eternity and into creation and into the New Testament, as we'll get into with the teaching of Jesus. But man and woman are fit for one another in companionship. Emotionally, intellectually, socially, spiritually, and physically. What's important here is coming from man being carefully crafted unlike any other creation reveals this shared responsibility that we have as man and woman to guard the garden which we revealed last week is the hearts of people not stuff And guard one another as we are sent to multiply the kingdom 
and the image of God through marriage as a model, but not only there, but into every other method of which we live in. Our goal is to protect one another's hearts, to cherish one another's souls, to care for one another in a very intimate manner as we see the marriage covenant relationship in our next point as a typology towards how the church should operate, how we should operate in relationship, how we should operate in our business practices, how we should operate in our sibling relationships, how we should be operating in our child and uh, parent relationships. It affects all of our interdimensional relationships in a way that is a model and an example. Our gender and our creation our centerpieces at that. We have been given these responsibilities. And the root of chivalry and opening the door for somebody, believe it or not, goes all the way back to creation. The reason we, we have these, these, these traditions that often gets kind of marginalized or pushed back on or forgotten about as simple as opening the door for somebody. You ever wonder where, where we got that from? Was it was the knights in the shining armor? Was it uh, the round table uh, with all the knights around the, the round table? Was it during that medieval season? No. Was it, how far back does it go? It goes back to the creative creation order of God. This special reverent grace and honor and cherishing of this masterpiece of creation. That's why. I walk around to my wife's door and I open it for her. But that's also why I often get caught up in my own version of what I think protecting is and providing, making sure you have, we have the bills paid and we have food on the table. And there's, there's aspects of the carnal and earthly aspect that's connected to, to our creative nature that's the reason we lock our doors in the house. That's the reason why I wake up and, and sometimes at night and go, did I lock that back door? Yeah, I, I don't know. And then I can't go back to sleep. I, I just can't. If I am not sure, like 100% of the time, some of you may be like, I just roll over to go back to bed. I don't know. I don't care. I, it just rents space in my head. I got to check. And go in there, um, you know, make sure the door's locked. Or maybe if I was real smart, I'd get a smart app that goes, Lexus, lock the door. But it's, it's woven in the fabric of how we're created. But this, this guarding and this cherishing and this protecting that we as men have been called to in the, the last section of our teaching is rooted into this protecting of hearts and lives and people, not stuff and possessions and positions. And that's what I struggle with. Anybody, is it just me who struggles with putting position and possessions and property and, and things above people? My wife always is telling me, and this is her shield around me. Hey, remember, we're not raising grass. We're raising children. Don't worry about the grass so much. One day, I'll sit on my front porch when all my kids are gone. And I will breathe a, a, a sigh of a breath of fresh air. When I got a sprinkler system and I got my real mower. You guys know what I'm talking about. 
that cuts the grass better, and I will raise some grass. Until then, my responsibility is to shepherding the hearts of those who I've been entrusted with. And so when we talk about these character qualities and the creation of womanhood, there is, this, there is this incredible responsibility to cherish and shape and shepherd the hearts of those that we've been given. It may be your spouse, men, but it is also your children. And if you're not married, you still have a high calling from your creative nature to shepherd the hearts of those who you share life with. Your siblings, older siblings in the room. You are divinely given the responsibility according to your birth order to care, to shepherd, and shape, and protect the hearts and to guard the hearts of your siblings. If you're a a baby of the family, do whatever you want. That's what my wife does. Or my wife, that's my wife too. But my daughter, is she in here? I don't think she's in here. She's serving the nursery maybe. Our kids' church. That's how I feel. I was a middle kid, so I feel like I got the raw end of the deal. I couldn't lead. I couldn't do whatever I want. Any other middle kids? Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. We'll have a therapy session after in my office. But there's a responsibility that you have, whether you're married or not, to embrace the, the spiritual responsibility. And as women have been created, this careful building of who you are. And like I mentioned last week, a helper fit. Married or unmarried, we come in, we bring shields around one another in the church and protecting one another, guarding hearts and lives, cherishing in relationships. That's why you see most of the letters that Paul wrote to Ephesus and, and Corinth and, and, and the letter to Titus and, and the young pastors of Timoth- like Timothy. Often saying, above all else, love, cherish, guard, protect the church carpet, right? No. Somebody spilled carpet, uh, coffee, didn't you? Garrett, did you spill car- co- coffee this morning on my carpet? I'm not here to protect the carpet. We're here to protect the souls of people. And so as we think through that, we think through this incredible crescendo creation, it begins to complete this image of God's creation in man and woman together in this beautiful image that's reflected in the local church through our small group ministries, through how the deacons lead, through how you as siblings care for one another, how grandparents and how you shepherd and care for your children and grandchildren. Every one of us have a biblical application rooted in this chivalry and the opposite of that that we will get to dig into in chapter three is the opposite of this liberation this lack of shame that Adam and Eve were resting and living in having no shame the opposite of liberation is oppression where we see the fall of mankind instituting this incredible legalistic system through all of our cultural expressions of the oppression of mankind, the oppression of women, the oppression of men, the oppression of of genders and cultures and slavery and nationalities. It's the byproduct of the fall that we'll get into next week or two weeks. 
We'll get there. But the opposite we often see in our culture, don't we? The opposite, even within the walls of churches, can miss the mark on what it means to cherish, shepherd, lead, guide, and shield one another. But our next and final point this morning, I know I'm supposed to have three. This was four, remember, two last week, two this week. Our final point this morning is, is we see in these texts of verse 23 and 24, God's perfect plan for marriage and our sexuality. God's perfect plan for marriage and sexuality is introduced in his creative order and plan here in verse 23 and 24. It's the foundation, an absolute bedrock of family marriage, gender, and sexuality. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then the man, this is why, therefore, because of these things, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That right there, marriage retreat, 16 week study. We don't have time for that. But we will make some important biblical truths and illuminate some things. Like I said, that this is a bedrock for culture. Without monogamous marriage in a healthy biblical representation, and family, culture, society will not survive. Period. From the very beginning of time, God established this biblical mandate for what marriage is, sexuality is, our identity and gender. What family looks like. And it's, it's rooted in the formation of man and woman, rooted in this creative order of guarding one another's hearts and coming around and, and protecting and multiplying his image through our life. Adam's first words, as we just mentioned, his very first words here, at least recorded, is this incredible shout of affirmation, this, this declaration of we... This woman that you've brought to me, this, this amazing creation is announced with at last. Wow, man. You get, anybody else get it? Woman, thank you. Okay. I was, was going to see if it landed. But he's, he's, he, he makes this Wow. This at last is the right fit. What I didn't even know I was missing because it was absence before. God knew it wasn't good. But now this divine plan I see coming to light before my very eyes. In verse 24, we see God's holy plan carried out in his divine purpose through this covenant sacred 
plan called marriage. Many times culture tries to hijack and redefine what these terms are. But marriage is a God-ordained biblical institution. I have no right to define what marriage is. I, I have no right in my carnal, simplistic power. I didn't put the stars in their place. I didn't make man out of nothing. I didn't create the ability for us to have compassion and love and honor that separate us from the other creation of living items in animal kingdom. To be able to have justice and mercy. I didn't create those. The one who does and who did create is the one from the very first pages of the sacred text is the one who has the authority and the right alone to define marriage, gender, and sexuality. He alone. So as we wrestle through these things in school systems, in circles of community, in your workplace, or other funnels of information through YouTube Shorts and Facebook, we begin to see these wrestles, we hold true to what we know is eternal. He defines these things, God alone. Jesus affirms this, this ancient text from Jesus himself, this biblical covenant biblical relationship he affirms in Matthew 19 through through 9 if you're taking notes Mark chapter 10 2 through 12 he points back to this Genesis narrative as he defines and he's questioned about marriage and divorce and all of these different nuances that the religious leaders actually were working to try to trip him up. His answer, his definition that Jesus himself forms, his worldview and that which he teaches as God himself, he points back to Genesis 1 and 2. At the end of verse 24, we read, and they became one flesh. This explains this magnitude of, of this bond, literally becoming one person. This reminds me that that aha moment in my life when I kissed my wife for the first time, which my kids know it wasn't on her wedding day. But I remember this, this moment where I was with very traditional context. You may, young people may not know what courting is. But that's what my wife and I did between our families. But I remember being in the high school hallway. And I remember telling her, hey, I got something for you after, after, after school. And something special. It was really cheesy. 
says, nobody can take this away from you. Something you can't lose. So I gave her some other things, like a, a, a balloon with flowers. Well, those, that, that can, you can lose that. And, you know, if you like Elsa, you'll let the balloon go. Yeah, dad jokes all day. You're welcome. Come back to, later. So I told her this, and at the end of the day, I walk up to her. I'm like, I got something for you. I had something behind my back. It was nothing. I took her by her cheek and didn't want to be too aggressive. Or her dad find out. So I kissed her on the cheek. And she steps back and goes, is that it? (laughs) Well, that's not what I thought was going to happen. Then she leans in and gives me a nice little, very soft, simple peck on the right here. And I thought the world has stopped. I go off to my basketball game. We had an away game that, that day. She goes off to typing class. Later, I found out in this story that she's typing away my name. Chris Kelly, Chris Kelly, Chris Kelly. And this other guy was trying to like, get her attention. and has been trying to hit on her and talk to her. And he knew that game over when he saw my name coming across the screen. He leaned over next to her and was trying his ways again with her. And he, she goes, he's like, oh, hey, you got any lunch plan? Never mind. Little did I know, he told me this whole thing later. He's like, yeah, I was trying to get her to go out with me and all this stuff. But then when I saw your name going across the screen, it was over. I had no chances for me. And then the best part of this story has nothing to do with our creation plan. But God was just gracious. I had a last second shot that night. And I won the game. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Two seconds left, shot up, went down. It was like cloud nine. That had nothing to do with the application. But you just need to know that happened. It It happened. I won a game. But I remember that moment of, wow, this is remarkably different than anything that I can explain to anyone. I can't, I can't quite explain. She's not here with us today. Otherwise, I'd probably be crying uh, like I often do. She's out delivering a wedding for one of our church members, uh, the Lee family. But I remember that moment. I remember... Several years later, seeing her at the end of that aisle. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about. There is this alive before me. Realizing this is my shield, my helper, my partner, my protector, my defender. I remember the incredible experience of being next to my wife while she is giving birth. And there were three of us in the room. Then all of a sudden, four. And blown away. Like I I just couldn't explain what I just witnessed. The most incredible thing. How did that just happen? Even though I taught seventh grade science. 
and taught that part too. Even I know all of that. I know all these things. I know all the, 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 the science behind it. It is an incredible feat and connected. It was a, the light bulb came on in my heart. Oh, that's the power of womanhood. I can't do that. And it connects all the way back to why woman was created from life. We will get into the brokenness of mankind. We'll get into the depravity of the world we live in and, and, and the, the cause and the consequence of, of a world broken by sin. For some of you, that, that story and that illustration, that journey is, isn't celebratory like some of you. So others of you, it's very hurtful, hard to hear this longing and want that you might have. But the truth is, this marriage is only a substitute and a temporary typology and reflection of what God had planned for you and him and this incredible born-again oneness that will last into eternity. This world is like a vapor, just a quick breath of air as the scriptures describe. But eternity will be this, this bride of Christ, the church, in relationship with his creation. It is only a picture, although incredible and amazing, that marriage and the church is to be a picture of how we're to extend God's glory in our life through relationship, through marriage, through community in the church. This incredible bond. God meant from the very beginning, Jesus affirms that monogamous, heterosexual marriage is and will forever be the divine plan for every person, every culture, and every group from the beginning of creation. There is no other plan. There is no substitution. There is no exception when it comes to this model. And then we will introduce, next, the depravity of the world. Some of you, like me, have experienced sexual brokenness prior to my marriage to my wife. Some of you have experienced sexual brokenness inside your marriage. Some of you ex have experienced the devastating consequences of divorce. And I'm here to tell you, that's why Christ came to take your brokenness and your sin and your shame and to lay it out on the cross and say, it is finished. I've rescued you for such a time as this. This is why I remind myself every time we worship and I stand over here many times weeping and raising my hands or kneeling because I am overwhelmed by how depraved I know I am and the story of rescue that he's taken me from. And regardless of the consequences of sin in your life, even if you feel like you've lived a pretty good life, your depravity is on the same table as mine. Or if you're a murderer and you've taken someone's life, 
Your depravity is the same as anyone else's. The consequences of sin obviously have ramifications on this earth, but into eternity, you will experience what it is like to be liberated and in oneness with our creator God. That's why things like gender fluidity, all you can pick and choose. Pornography, worshiping images and practicing things as that are devastating to people, families, churches, cultures. Sexual promiscuity, practicing sexual behavior outside of a biblical, sacred, covenant marriage leads to devastation, destruction, and death. Homosexual behavior are all in Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 22, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 5, outline these things as counterfeits. Yes, I have put all of these under the same umbrella of sexual perversion. We're good at saying, well, yeah, you can go to church and live with your partner, and you can, you can be a Christian, but if you're homosexual... Absolutely not. Listen. These are listed as counterfeits or perversions of the biblical fundamental foundation established from creation between one woman and one man. Anything else is a counterfeit and a perversion. These, these practices do two things. They cause objectification of another person. You becoming just an object, disconnecting to the spiritual and human value and worth and dignity of a person. That's what pornography does and these other perversions. It's a counterfeit, turns it into something false and fake. So it becomes just an object of our worship, not really human. And de- therefore, second is it dehumanizes. It says, really, not, it's not human. So therefore, I can do this, that. And it re- re- removes God's image bearing and responsibility we have to cherish, honor, protect, guard, and treat as holy. But this is why we need the gospel this morning. For ourselves and our culture and our families is because we need the gospel. 